What an exciting thing that happened. All because the Holy Spirit was their guide. The Holy Spirit knows the correct decision for every situation you will ever face in life. At school, on the workforce, at home, even at church, wherever you are. The Holy Spirit knows what you should do every moment of the day. Your Bible is open, please, at Galatians chapter 5. Last Sunday, we began a a series entitled, Why We Absolutely Need the Holy Spirit. And in that sermon, we pointed out that all born-again, saved, born-again Christians already have the Holy Spirit. But what we're emphasizing is what the Holy Spirit can do for us in our lives. That's why we say we absolutely need the Holy Spirit. Last Sunday, we showed you how the Holy Spirit is the greatest teacher in the whole world. Without exception, the greatest teacher. And he will be our teacher if we will seek his face daily. We need to seek the face of the teacher daily. Well, there's another reason why we absolutely need the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you what that is. There is an unseen problem in the heart of every man, woman, and young person around the world. And this problem seems to paralyze the will and stop people dead in their tracts. Or at least it slows them down quite a bit. At least that. And you have no doubt experienced the symptoms of this problem yourself from time to time. Now perhaps a funny example of this problem is in a fast food restaurant. You walk up to the counter and the person looks at you and says, Can I take your order please? And the game begins. And for the next few seconds that feel like a few hours, your eyes are trying to quickly soak in all of the information up on this monster board about 30 feet wide. And your stomach is playing 20 questions with you and you're trying to decide what it is that you want to eat and all that comes out of your mouth is, um, uh, uh, you know what I'm talking about? Has that ever happened to anyone here? Yeah? Well, that may be a humorous example of it, but we're talking about being indecisive. And I have seen a deer caught in the headlights with more decisive power than some guys standing in line at McDonald's. It's that bad. Indecision or indecisiveness can sometimes be a funny thing, but you know, sometimes it's not so funny. Especially when you're faced with the decision of the lesser of two evils. You have to make a decision. And whichever one you choose, you're not going to be too thrilled about. Do you want to get smacked? Or do you want to get zapped? What it'll be? What's your choice? Uh, uh, uh. And there are times in life like that. Now some people have more trouble with making decisions than other people. But I guarantee you this. Every single person at some point is indecisive. Every single person is paralyzed. They don't know what to choose. Do I go left? Do I go right? Do I go up? Do I, do I go down? Do I stay? Do I take off? You know, what, what do I do? What do I do? And I think normally, not always, but normally, it comes from a sense of fear of making a mistake. Well, the good news, folks, is that I know someone who can help you and me with every single decision that we'll ever have to make in life. And his name is the Holy Spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit will guide you into making the right decisions every time if you seek His face, if you call out to Him, if you humble yourself and go by His leading, you'll live the happiest life in the world. Well, let's begin with a word of prayer, and then let's look at this, this exciting topic today. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for the Holy Spirit. Oh, Father, we just don't know what a treasure we have in the wonderful Holy Spirit. Now, we do pray that you would please help us to learn how to yield to the Holy Spirit. Father, I know that some people have absolutely no taste for a subject like this. They're more into worldly things. But Father, I hope that all of us here today and all that are watching online have a hunger and thirst for righteousness and a hunger and thirst to know you and to know the right way. And so, dear Heavenly Father, open the eyes of our understanding and help us to see what this wonderful Holy Spirit can and, and will do for us if, if we call upon Him. And bless us now. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, as you all know, making decisions is a part of life. You made a decision this morning to get out of bed. You made a decision if you were going to have some breakfast or not. You made a decision as to what you were going to wear. You made a decision as to whether you're going to come to church or not. All through life, we're making hundreds, thousands of decisions every day. All kinds of decisions. Leadership is all about making the right decisions as we navigate our way through life. You find a leader who can make all the right decisions, you want to get behind that leader and pray for them. But how do we make right decisions? Because oftentimes the decisions we make are wrong decisions. Have you ever made a wrong decision? How many have made a wrong decision? Raise your hand. Well, some didn't raise their hand, so we need to follow you guys. <laughs> you can be the leader. It seems to me that every human being has at some time made a wrong decision, and sometimes a whopper. Have you ever made a whopper? And I don't mean the, the burger. I mean, have you ever made a real bad decision? That just, oh, afterwards, it, you just fried you. Well, I've done that more than once. And I've, I've made the, the rainbow of decisions in my life. I've made some good, I've made some bad, I've made some ugly. I've made some big, I've made some little. I've made lots of mistakes. Hopefully I've learned from those mistakes. But... Um, Often, we're very hesitant of making mistakes when we're afraid that if we choose wrong, we're going to get in trouble. If we choose wrong, we're going to get people mad at us. If we choose wrong, we're going to go broke. If we choose wrong, we're going to be unhappy with our decision for the rest of our life. And so faced with that, no wonder we're paralyzed. No wonder we have trouble making decisions. Well, hooray for the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit knows the correct decision to make. Not nine out of ten times, but ten out of ten. If you make a thousand decisions in a day, He can help you with a thousand decisions. 
Our problem is that we're not looking to the Holy Spirit enough. And so we think, oh, I can do this. I know what to do. And plop. <laughs> Bang. Oops. Crunch. The wheels fall off. We make wrong decisions, don't we? It's human nature. Let's be honest. Now the Christians in the churches of Galatia. Galatia was a region, a region of cities in Asia Minor. And this is the, the book of Galatians. It's the churches in Galatia. And so the Christians in the churches of Galatia were being told by certain legalistic law keepers that they were required to keep the Old Testament laws. That was why the, Paul wrote the book of Galatians. And you know what? There are still people today and they're on the internet and sometimes uh, they're people you know at work or neighbors or relatives and they'll try and tell you, oh, listen, we still have to keep the Old Testament laws. And so these Christians were being told that. And these legalizers were trying to put them back under law. And of course, it, it made Paul's bones burn when he heard about this. And he wrote the book of Galatians. And it's a wonderful book. If you've never read it, you are doing yourself a disservice. You need to read through the book of Galatians. Now, back in the Old Testament, the believers had to maintain the laws of Moses. That's why they were given. People had to do it. But the thing is, they had quite a struggle. Because um, uh, they were not given the Holy Spirit the same way we are. They, they just didn't have them. And we do. So anyhow, the Old Testament believers were required to keep the laws of Moses. But in our scripture reading today that Brother Howard led us in, the Apostle Paul wrote that if the Christians would let the Holy Spirit be their guide, there's no need to be under any Old Testament laws. Now, with your Bible open at chapter 5 of Galatians, I'd like you to look please again at verse number 18. Read the words out loud with me, please. Verse number 18, read it out loud. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Say, why is that? This is because, and it's very simple when you think of it, the Holy Spirit will guide Christians to live right lives before God. The Holy Spirit will never lead into error or never lead into disobedience to God. The Holy Spirit will always lead a believer to live their life right before God. There's no need for Old Testament law. As we raise our children, uh, they, they're under certain laws, rules of the home, right? You know, you can do this, you can't do this, and usually there's more can'ts than can. Well, why? Are they going to be under that all their life? No. They're only under that to a point where they learn right from wrong and hopefully continue in the right. But until then, they're under close scrutiny, they're under certain house rules, and then as they get older, they don't need those house rules because they know what's right. And hopefully they continue to do it. And if we will be led by the Holy Spirit, there's no need for Old Testament law for us because we're going to serve God and do what is right day by day. Romans chapter 6 and verse 14 says it 
very clearly, we are not under law. We are under grace. That's Romans 6.14. Now, in fact, and this gets exciting, we have it so much better than the believers in the Old Testament. Because if we are led of the Holy Spirit, not only, you know, to be our guide, we're talking about the Holy Spirit being our guide, not only will we have victory over the flesh, but we're going to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit as well. And the Old Testament believer didn't have that. Now look please at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. You can have as much as you want. You're not breaking any law. What a wonderful way to live our lives. Verses 22 and 23. What a wonderful way to live our lives especially the love, joy, and peace. Don't you wish you, there was more of that? Don't you wish maybe there was a little more of that in your, your home or in your heart or in your place of business? I know some of you walk into a wild zoo of crazy animals when you go to work. I realize that. And some of you that go to some of the schools around here, it's, it's no better. It may be a smaller version of a zoo, but it's a zoo nonetheless. And sometimes it's pretty hard on the on the students. Um, some of our secular uh, postgraduate schools, universities and colleges, you get the same kind of thing. Maybe a little more refined, but it's also a bit of a wild zoo. And it's hard on a Christian to be in that atmosphere. Well, I tell you, when we come to church, we ought to, we ought to be able to relax a bit. We ought to be able to say, oh, I'm home. Praise the Lord. My brothers, my sisters. And, and some of us will bump with the elbow and some of us will shake with the hand. But that's okay. We're a family and we love each other. You see? That's the way it ought to be. It seems to me that it's fear of consequences that often paralyze people from making the right decisions. Now in the Old Testament, there's a, an amazing story. It illustrates this. And it's in 1 Kings chapter 18, and you needn't turn there because I'll relate the story to you. But in that chapter, we read about the ministry of Elijah up in the northern part of Israel. There were 10 tribes up there that he ministered to. Now, Solomon, you all are familiar with Solomon and his kingdom. And after Solomon died, he had a son named Rehoboam who split the kingdom because he made a wrong decision. Now, talk about making a bad decision. That guy regretted his decision for the rest of his life. He split the whole kingdom. His daddy had built the greatest kingdom and he went and just chopped it in half because he decided to follow the advice of his contemporary buddies rather than listen and follow the advice of the older, wiser men who served under Solomon. And because he went with his buddy's advice, he just stood up to the people of Israel and said, ha, he said, my little finger will be thicker than my father's loins. And he, he, he said all kinds of things he shouldn't. And he split it. Split it just wide open. And so, northern kingdom, southern kingdom. The ten tribes, part of the northern kingdom, they got involved with idolatry. They set up golden idols. And the kings of, of the north encouraged this sort of thing because they didn't want their people going to the southern 
tribes where Jerusalem was and the temple. And so they encouraged this for political reasons. And so here we go. We've got all this people, these ten tribes that are worshipping the most prominent false deity called Baal, B-A-A-L. And that means Lord. That's what Baal means, Lord. He's a false deity. And so Elijah shows up on the scene and he hosts a contest. And it's, it's going to be a contest between Elijah, the representative for Jehovah God, and the false prophets of Baal. And you remember they built a big altar and it was real dry and they put on sacrifice and the God who answered by fire, he would be God. You remember that? Tremendous story. Elijah was just, you know, in his prime when he did this. Well, in verse 21 of chapter 18 of 1 Kings, Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? They were stalled, stopped between two opinions. If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. And so here we have what we're talking about. We have indecision. The people were halting between two opinions. Worship Jehovah or worship Baal. Now they seem to know deep down in their heart, they all seem to know who Jehovah God was. They knew what was right, but the thing is, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel was putting tremendous pressure on the people to worship Baal. All the government powers were behind them as well. And so they were pressuring the people to accept and worship the false god of Baal. So it seems to me that these people were caught between a rock and a hard place. If they worshipped only Jehovah then it would mean for them trials, tribulations, problems from the government, maybe loss of jobs, maybe angry family members. But if they continued to worship Baal, then it would mean sin and guilt and then judgment from God upon them. And so that's why in verse 21 it said, and the people answered him not a word because they were afraid. They were scared because Ahab was right there as well. Oh, what to do, what to do, what to do. These people had a tough, a tough decision to make. If somehow they could have had the Holy Spirit like how we have the Holy Spirit, I think they could have gotten victory over this problem. But we do have the Holy Spirit and He will be our guide if we ask Him, if we bow before Him. Can you imagine having the Holy Spirit as your constant guide throughout the day and every day, this week and next week, and for as many weeks as you have on this earth? Having the Holy Spirit as your guide. Oh, what victories would be yours. That is the absolute truth. As I look at the New Testament, I see Joseph, the husband of Mary. He was absolutely led of the Holy Spirit when he took Mary to be his wife. And Mary, after she brought forth Jesus, both she and Joseph took Jesus into the temple to present him to the Lord. And there were two people in particular in Jerusalem. One man, an old man named Simeon, one woman, an old woman named Anna. And they both loved the Lord and looking for his Christ. 
And they were led of the Holy Spirit that day to come to the temple. And they got to see and hold Jesus. What an incredible thing. That wouldn't have happened had they not been led by the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that moved in the hearts of the wise men to plan and prepare and perform the journey following a star that brought them to the very house where the infant Jesus was. And there they had the opportunity to present their gifts and worship him. There's no other explanation. They were led of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that led Joseph in the middle of the night to up and take his wife and the baby Jesus and flee out of Israel into Egypt because Herod sent his cutthroats to kill all of the baby boys. And if Joseph had not have been led by the Holy Spirit, well, your guess is as good as mine, I suppose. It was John the Baptist who was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. No one has ever experienced that. And when, Mary, by the way, when Elizabeth, John's mother, was still pregnant with John the Baptist, Mary comes visiting. And Mary is now just pregnant by the Holy Spirit to give birth to the baby Jesus. Elizabeth is like six months pregnant. And Elizabeth says, Boy, when I heard the words of your salutation in my ear, the babe leaped in my womb. What must that feel like? You know, we've had three children, my wife and I. And uh, my wife says that um, uh, the first, first child would, would push, <laughs> push. She'd call me, come running, feel this, she'd say. And I'd feel like a little hand or a little foot pushing. That was a weird experience. And then the second child uh, would, you know, do this. The third child, who's here today, <clears throat> she said would do somersaults. So I imagine that's pretty close to uh, John the Baptist doing a, a jump for joy in his mama's womb. He was filled with the Holy Spirit <laughs> from his, his mother's womb. What an experience, huh? But John the Baptist was led of the Holy Spirit when he came of age, led out to the wilderness, and then soon started preaching Prepare the way for Christ, the coming Christ. The Lord Jesus was definitely led of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was his constant companion and guide and led Jesus to make all the right decisions. In Mark chapter, I'm sorry, I think it's, uh, yeah, Matthew chapter 4. It says, then was Jesus led of the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted of the devil for 40 days. But in Luke chapter 4, it says Jesus returned. This is after the temptation. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit was leading Jesus every moment, every day of his life. The early church got started and soon encountered a problem they'd never run into before. Because they grew big, you know, in Jerusalem. But the problem was that the widows were getting, the Grecian widows were getting neglected in the daily ministration of food and so on. And this was a big problem. It was threatening to destroy and rip the church apart. And so the apostles got together, they got on their knees, and they came up with this solution. 
And they said in uh, Acts chapter 6, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, whom we may appoint over this business. And they did, and that solved their problem. Men who were filled with the Holy Spirit, who were being led by the Holy Spirit on a constant basis. That's the kind of leadership we want. That's the kind of men we want to be our deacons and our leaders, our pastors. These are the kind of people we want. Serving the Lord. A little bit later in the early church, it prospered, folks. And the gospel was starting to spread. And it got to Antioch. That's up in kind of in the northern Israel area there on the coast. And the time soon came when the Gentiles needed to hear the gospel. And so, in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Here's the Holy Spirit laying it on the hearts of the church and the leadership of the church to set aside these two men, Barnabas and Paul, for a special work. And here, the Holy Spirit led also in Paul and Barnabas' heart to become missionaries of the gospel to the Gentiles. And what exciting lives they led. I am excited for our sister Roman, our brother Carl, as they go forth serving the Lord in their respective ministry fields. I am excited what God is going to be doing. Now, an example of these exciting lives can be seen in Acts chapter 16. I want you to look at this with me. So turn back to the book of Acts chapter 16. You really need to see this. And you folks at home, turn in your Bible. Acts chapter number 16. I want everyone to see this. This is so exciting. Here we have Paul and Barnabas being definitely led by the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 16, verse number 6. Now here, Paul and Barnabas are trying to explore new territories and get churches started. In verse number 6, it says, Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, now we just talked about that, and we're, look at this, forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Imagine that, a closed door. After they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Another closed door. Holy Spirit was leading them, but closing doors. Verse 8, And they passing by Mysia came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. The Lord was directing and leading in Paul and Barnabas' hearts where to go, where not to go, but where to go. And so what ended up happening is they ended up in this little town uh, and... um, um, they, they, they came into, the, into Macedonia, they came into this little town of Philippi, and it was there that they started the church at Philippi, and the church of Philippi became one of the greatest churches of the New Testament. What an exciting thing that happened, all because the Holy Spirit was their guide. 
The Holy Spirit knows the correct decision for every situation you will ever face in life. At school, on the workforce, at home, even at church, wherever you are. The Holy Spirit knows what you should do every moment of the day. There's a song we love to sing. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. How many know that song? Raise your hand. All right, would you, are you brave enough to sing with me? Would you sing it with me? My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow. Now, you could, you could change the word wilderness for your situation. Maybe if there's a problem at your work. My Lord knows the way through my place at work. All I have to do is follow. Maybe you're having problems in your marriage. My Lord knows the way through my old marriage. <laughs> you word it any way you want. All I have to do is follow. That's the idea. That's the concept. The Lord isn't asking us to be brilliant and be like Solomon. He'll be brilliant. He'll be the decision maker. All we have to do is follow. You know, there's a true story about a painting by a famous German artist. His name was Moritz Retz. This artist painted a painting about a game of chess between a young man and the devil. Apparently, the artist, Moritz, he was a chess player himself, so he knew something about chess. And he painted the chessboard with the pieces in such a way that it looked like the devil was going to win. And there was the young man, you know, with this look on his face of forlorn. I've seen the picture, by the way. It's on the internet. Anyone can see it. And he's, he's very discouraged, and he's wondering about his last move before he gets checkmated. Apparently, chess players came from all around and would look at this painting and they would study it and they'd say, yep, this one's a loser. Looks like the devil's going to win this time. Well, that painting, plus a number of others, went on a worldwide tour and ended up in a city in, in uh, the United States called Cincinnati. And this is back in the 1800s there was a famous world grand master still alive, living. His name was Paul Morphy. And he was an undisputed champion. He was a genius from just a little weak kid. He learned how to play the game watching his father and his uncle play chess. And he had a natural knack. We would call him like a Bobby Fischer, sort of, you know, a real natural. How many don't know who Bobby Fischer is? Just... Okay, all right, all right. We'll pretend a great chess player. <laughs> and so Paul Morphy made a trip to see this painting. And they watched Paul as he stood there for a long time. And his hand would move, retracing the, the steps that led to that situation in the painting. And his hand would move different combinations, different ideas, what that young man could do. And he stood there for about a half hour staring and thinking and contemplating. And you know, these grandmasters, they can see not just one or two moves ahead. They can see like 10 moves ahead, 15 moves ahead. 
And he was there for the longest time. And it's said that finally he, his eyes lit up and he said, that's the move. Young man, make that move. And Paul Morphy saw something that no one else saw. And that's how the Holy Spirit will work in your life. And He will lead you to make decisions. Now you listen, you have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit because He's not going to tell you to go jump off the roof. You have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is your teacher, what's the name of the textbook? The Bible. The Word of God. You have to be studying the textbook to be a good student for your teacher, the Holy Spirit. But you do that. And the Holy Spirit will also lead you. And you be sensitive. Can you imagine what it would be like playing a game of chess against someone who's way better than you, but you had Paul Morphy somehow whispering in your ear what pieces to play and where to put them. You'd win every single game. Your opponent would cry out in frustration, I don't get it. What's wrong with you? You, you, you play like Paul Morphy or someone. What is it about you? What is it about a Christian being led by the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit wants to be our guide. See, that's, that's what He is, folks. He's not only a teacher, but He's a guide. And He wants to guide you into making the right moves, the right decisions. Throughout our lives, face it, throughout your life, my life, we must make many decisions. And some of those decisions aren't going to feel very comfortable making. Well, if we've made the Holy Spirit our guide, He will impress us as to what to do and what decision to make. And so I ask you again, can you imagine, for example, your home, how it would just permeate with love and joy if you let the Holy Spirit lead you in the decisions. Most of the time, our, our homes are battlefields. You know, someone made a decision we don't agree with. Someone did something without our permission. Hmm? How do you respond? Well, if we would let the Holy Spirit lead us, we would have a little piece of heaven on earth. Can you imagine how this same Holy Spirit can lead you in every decision you have to make? What school to go to? What clothes to wear? Who to marry? Maybe also who not to marry. Maybe we should throw that one in there too. What job to take? What city to live in? What car to buy? What house to buy? Or rent? You get the idea? You'd be unbeatable if you let the Holy Spirit lead you. You know, I'm a bit of a student of sign language. I'm not very good, but I know a few signs. And I know the sign for being led is this. To be led. And that's what you want. You want the Holy Spirit to lead you. You want Him to be your leader today, tomorrow, every day this week. You want the Holy Spirit to lead in your life and guide you to make every right decision. So, 
Christian friend, is this what you're wanting? Will you bow to the leadership of the Holy Spirit today? Will you ask the Holy Spirit to be your guide in life? Would you stand to your feet? We're going to pray. Time to pray. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word. Thank you.